The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. What type of rest do you need? Hey everyone, from LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. If you've ever experienced burnout or you're in it now, maybe you can sense it coming, I know this conversation is for you. I also know that if burnout is in your current vocabulary, you are probably a high-performing human in some respect. Here's the thing. We have all been trained to believe that high performance is about expending most, if not all, of our energy for the sake of being quote-unquote productive without end, and the promise of some external reward like praise or promotion or whatever we deem success to be. And we even go as far as to feel a little bit ashamed if and when we do burn out. But what I've realized is this hamster wheel of productivity actually just guarantees burnout over and over again. And I have definitely learned this the hard way from two of my own burnouts. A few years ago, I was talking to somebody who's a leader of a peak performance collective. They study high-performing humans all over the world, so professional athletes, dancers, singers, actors— And what he said was, all of these people have cycles of something like training, game day, and rest. And when he said rest, I flinched. I was kind of grossed out, and I was curious, because at the time, I was equating rest with laziness. Well, two years and two burnouts later, I am much closer to undoing this belief. And I want to share a really simple way for you to change your mind about it, too. Our guest today is an internal medicine physician, and lately she's been studying rest for a really good purpose. My work is really just about helping people have the energy to enjoy their life. I find that there are a lot of high producers out there who are sometimes producing great work and serving the world, but at the end of the day, they don't have any energy to enjoy their own lives and their family and the blessings in their lives. So I want people to have the energy to do their work and to have time to play and to just enjoy the life that they've built. So that's Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. She's a physician, she's an author, and a speaker who's dedicating her time right now to understanding what kind of rest we all need. Today, we're going to dive deep into Dr. Sandra's seven types of rest. Yes, there are seven. I know, I was shocked too. And we're going to get to the bottom of why taking time away can make you enjoy more in all aspects of your life and your work. Most of us, we like the accomplishment of having completed something. And so the, the problem with that is, is you can get in this trap where you are continuously working, 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 and it never feels like enough because you haven't actually taken the time to stop, to reflect, to actually evaluate if, if the things you're producing are actually leading you in the direction you want to go. You're just getting the high of productivity without actually <laughs> looking at kind of the bigger picture. And so when I talk about rest, for me, rest is so much more than just sleeping and vacations and massages and me time and all of those things. It's really taking a chance to restore your life and to make sure that it's on the track that you want it to be on, that you're pouring back into the places that you're depleting, that 
that you're looking at the places that maybe are not growing and flourishing in the way that you want them to, so that you put some effort into those fields of your life as well? What are those restorative processes that you're doing to make sure that every area of your life is getting to a healthy and a good place? Well, and so I, I'm excited for you to talk about the seven types of rest that you have, you know, uncovered. Um, but I'm I'm curious, like, what's the, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of self-awareness and also um, a, an intentional decision to make a shift in the way that you're living if you're going to start prioritizing rest, uh, assuming that you have not. I mean, what's the case for it? You know, there's so much research out there now specifically regarding chronic stress-related disorders, you know, from the health aspect as far as higher blood pressures, poor sleep, many people are experiencing insomnia, increased anxiety and depression. All of these are signs of chronic stress or unrelenting fatigue, basically ongoing fatigue in our lives in these different areas. And so we're Mm. constantly seeing the side effects of that. And then on top of it, you know, with everything that's happened with the pandemic, we had an entire shift of people who started really understanding that they are experiencing signs of burnout. You know, if you look Mm -hmm. at the, the World Health Organization's definition of what burnout is, most people are tired most of the time. They don't find satisfaction in the work that they do. And when they do the work, they don't do it at their highest level of capacity. So they're working, but they're not working at the highest level of what they are capable of doing. And so I think when we look at that, there has to be a shift from what we've been doing because living as we have with this very high-strung rest-when-I-have-time mentality is what's got us in our current situation. It's what's got us into this point where so many people don't feel like they have the energy to actually enjoy their life. They just have the energy to work. And then if they're not working, then they're on vacation. And the Mm -hmm. reality is that can't be a burnout prevention strategy. It really has to be integrated. It's not so much about carving out large blocks of time. It's being very self-aware and very intentional about doing restorative activities in the midst of your busy life. You know, I'm a realist. I'm an internal medicine physician. Physicians don't have big breaks. Hospitals don't close. They're open 24-7. You know, so it's one of those situations. Thank God. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So it's one of those situations where when I started looking at this, I couldn't look at it with a pie-in-the-sky kind of mentality. It needed to be real life, real people can do this, who have jobs that they just can't decide, you know, I'm going to work from the beach today. You know, that's great if that's your lifestyle, but that's not everybody. Most of us don't have those type of liberties. And so we need to be able to incorporate restorative activities, even if you're working on an assembly line. Companies I work with, that's the reality of it. Some of them are working on automobile machinery lines. Others are in tech companies where when we talk about driven, they're beyond driven. So, so many different companies that I've had the opportunities to work within and see how do we bring restorative processes inside of real life for real people who are simply just exhausted. Mm. I start with burnout, which is kind of like there's a fire big enough that it's going to burn the house down if you don't address it. But you used a phrase in one of your interviews that I loved, which I think we can kind of think about when we assess where we are, um, which is you said that a lot of us are living with the evidence of an unrested life. And I think burnout is like the very end of the spectrum where everything is showing you and pointing to you and saying, you've got to fix this. How do we start to assess 
this unrested life before we hit that point. Yeah, that's I get a lot of comments on that statement. Um, You know, in my book, Sacred Rest, I open up with me laying on the floor in my foyer of my house that I've always dreamed of with the kids I've been praying for and the husband that I, you know, (laughs) desired. (laughs) And it's like, you know, I'm in the middle of this situation where I am like living the dream, so to speak. Um, You know, if I'm looking at it superficially, but internally, nothing feels rested. And to me, that's where a lot of people are. Nothing feels just as if it's full within my life. I feel like my relationships are always kind of running on empty. I feel like my physical energy is running on empty. I feel like my emotions are always being pulled in different directions. And that's really what an unrested life is. It's like everything feels like it's this battery that's on the lowest level of depletion. You know, we're quick Mm -hmm. to charge up our phones if they start getting that little low battery mode. We don't do that with any other area of our lives. We just let it keep draining. And as long as it'll still have a little spark to it, we just keep pushing it. And, and you know, most of us, we push it till the point where it just fails on us, whether that's mm-hmm. a relationship, whether that's a career that you just get to the point where you're thinking, can't do this anymore. And it's not always that you don't like the work. It's you no longer have the energy to have the passion for the work anymore. There's, um, you know, uh, when I think about making lifestyle shifts, that's a lot of what we talk about on this show. It's it's maybe simple when it's described, but it's not easy to actually do. And so when I think about my own experience, I associated rest with laziness. And so I wonder, you know, as you, as you think about rest and your discoveries around it and the discussions you're having, what beliefs do we really need to shift around rest and the stigma of laziness? Like it was, I remember feeling like it's either I'm incredibly busy or I'm lazy. It's one or the other. Yes, I had the exact same feeling when I started this journey. And that's honestly probably why I burned out. When I started this journey for myself, I was looking more specifically at I just think I need more sleep. That, that was where I began. I knew I was burned out. I knew I was, you know, in this unrested state where I always felt fatigued. And I thought, I just need to get more sleep. And so I put all my attention, all of my eggs in. Let me just focus on getting the highest quality sleep I can possibly get. And I got to a point where I was getting exceptional sleep. And I was still waking up exhausted. And that's what started me to start looking at rest in a different way, because there's a very high level of desperation when you've done all you know to do and all that medical science is telling you that should help you feel less tired and you're still exhausted. My thyroid was healthy. You know, there wasn't something medically wrong with me, but I was still exhausted. And so that's when the research kind of started with the seven types of rest. When I started the process, just like you, my mindset was, You know, rest is what people do when they can't keep up with the rest of us high achievers. Mm -hmm. You know, they go and they lay around and they, you know, they feel good about themselves because they got rest. And so that was how I entered the process. So I had to convince myself that rest was actually valuable and that it actually would make a difference. And, you know, when I first started, I didn't start with all seven personally. I started with a few specific ones that I knew that I needed to get more of. And focus my attention on getting more of those specific types of rest. For me, it was emotional and social rest. Mm-hmm. So once I started actively being mindful of getting those types of rest and saw the difference it made in every other aspect of my life and energy, that's when it really kind of filtered over into my patients 
the thing that really stood out to me is that most people, the shift that they had to make in their mind is that rest is what I do to be able to do what I want to do with excellence. Mm. Because if you're looking at rest as the thing you do after the work is done, the work mm-hmm. is never done. There's always something that you can do, especially for certain people with certain mentalities. I like to produce stuff and see results. And so for me, there's always work. There's never a time that the work would be done. So the shift has to be, I don't want to just produce out of my emptiness. I don't want to just, because I can produce even when my energy level is at zero. I don't want to give somebody the scraps of what I can produce. I want to give somebody the excellence of what I can produce. And so when you start thinking that way, what happens is rest doesn't just become this thing you do when the work is over. Rest is the thing you do so that the work you produce is the best work you can produce. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a bit of self-ownership with that because, you know, you can go to a job every day and produce crap and get paid. I mean, that's the reality of it. That is not how most people want to live their lives. There's no honor in that. There's no feeling of really serving people well in that. And so I think the reason we're seeing so much of that is people feel like they really don't have the energy to give from anything other than from their emptiness. When we shift our mindset to give from our place of being energized and full and feeling fully equipped for the work that we're set out to do, we see a huge change in productivity. Wow, that's that's a big shift in my mind. Like I rest when the work is done is how I lived. And I think a lot of us live versus I rest in order to do my most excellent work or to show up in the most powerful way that I can. It's even interesting to think about at work um, when people say they're going on a vacation or taking time off. People always say, oh, that's well-deserved or well-earned. And it's perpetuating the culture that oh, now that you've done what you were supposed to do, sure, you can go rest versus I would celebrate you no matter what you were going to do, but particularly if you had shifted the way you viewed rest. So what are the seven types of rest? Yeah, so the seven types to to really help you be the best version of yourself include the physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. Got it. And can you give us the headline for each of those seven types of rest? Yeah, so um, physical... It's probably the easiest. We're all aware of sleeping and napping, but sleeping and napping are just the passive forms of physical rest. You also should take into account the active form, which include things like yoga and stretching and leisure walks and those things that improve the circulation and lymphatics in your body. You know, honestly, even your body ergonomics with your workstation and your desk are all part of that active physical rest. Mental rest evaluates mindfulness activities and making sure you're doing things to clear your cerebral space so that your mind's not overly active. You know, someone who has a mental rest deficit would be the person who they find themselves being overly forgetful. Um, they lay down at night and they can't shut their brain off. It's like their their head is spinning through all the thoughts and ideas and they can't shut it down to be able to go to sleep. That's what a mental rest deficit looks like. And so mental rest is, is getting to that quiet cerebral space. Social rest and emotional rest both deal with people. Social rest specifically is looking at how people pull from your social energy. There's people in our lives that are negatively pulling from our social energy. And then there's the people who are kind of positive. They are life-giving. They pour back into us. The thing is, most of the people we spend the majority of our time with, family, colleagues, clients, are negatively pulling from our social energy. They need things from us. 
So then you have to evaluate who are the people in your life who don't really need anything from you. You know, those are the adult friends or the people you hang out with just because you enjoy each other's company. And so you have to make sure that even in those relationships, like with family, which can both pull from you and pour into you, that you're keeping kind of a checks and balances there so that they don't become very one-sided. Emotional rest is having the ability and the freedom to be able to just express your feelings without having to, um, I I say, put makeup on them, without having Mm. to make it so that it's easier for somebody else to digest. I think a lot of us carry quite a bit of emotional labor within our jobs, especially if you're someone who maybe you're the head of a company or you're in leadership um, or maybe you're a parent and, you know, things go on that you don't want the people under you to be aware of because you don't want to overly stress or make them more anxious or fearful about the situation. So you keep all of that in and you manage all of that yourself without an outlet for releasing it. And so I think we have to keep evaluation of our own performance stress and how that affects our emotions. So we have to be aware that emotional rest is really having those people in your life where you can just have your emotions be rawly displayed so that you can release that. Um, and that could be, you know, a therapist, a counselor, a friend, you, a pastor, you get to pick who it is. Mm-hmm. But we all need those people in our lives, at least one, where you can release that or a journal or something where you feel safe to release those emotions. I prefer that there be somebody because I think mm-hmm. it's very it gets very easy to feel like I'm the only one who feels this way. And then that feels very isolating. But I do realize that sometimes there just isn't anyone where you feel safe to release that. And so being able to process through the emotion, at least on paper or journal or some way that that you're free to release it can be therapeutic for some as well. Mm. And so I, you know, I was thinking about, you know, you talking about the people in our, our social circles, right, who can pour into us or take from us or do both. And so in my mind, I'm going, how do we make sure we're not doing that to other people, too? so that we aren't then dumping onto other people what we're trying to keep out of our own spaces. That's a great point because emotional rest is not trauma dumping. And that's what most Mm. people think it is. So with trauma dumping, you're basically sharing all the details and the, you know, the the gore necessarily of Mm. the event. So you're basically painting a picture that takes the person you're talking to into the experience with you. So that they then can feel what you felt and really understand how you felt. That's not emotional rest. Emotional rest is not giving the details of the event. The emotional rest is you sharing what the event did to you. What happened inside of you? For example, if someone had a situation at work where maybe a boss corrected them, you know, or, or gave some constructive criticism on something. And so they come home and they they tell their spouse, you know, this is what he said, and this is what happened, and this is the look he gave me, and all these things, you know, going through all as if painting the picture and bringing the person into the moment. That's trauma dumping. Mm-hmm. That's basically just trying to make that person feel what you felt. What's really needed is to address the question, when that person corrected you, what did it do inside of you? Did it make you question your abilities? Did it bring up some hidden insecurities? Did it make you feel small? What happened in you? That is where the emotional rest comes from. If there's a heightened level of vulnerability that's needed for true emotional rest, and that's where most people don't go because it feels unsafe. And so that is the difference. 
Okay. That is a really helpful distinction, trauma dumping versus emotional rest. Um, Tell me about spiritual rest. Yeah, spiritual rest is different for each person depending on their own belief systems. However, at the very core of it is the need that we all have to belong and to feel loved and accepted. And so some people experience this in faith-based communities. Others Mm -hmm. experience it with different organizations or volunteer work that they do. Uh, It's basically reconnecting to humanity and seeing how you fit into the big picture of that. We're going on a quick break, but let me reiterate this. Rest is not something that you earn when the work is done, because the work is never going to be done. Rest is what you do and choose so that you can be your most excellent self. When we come back, the final two types of rest. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Now, before the break, Dr. Sandra took us through five of the seven types of rest. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and social. And we're going to round out the bunch here with creative rest and sensory rest. Creative rest is the rest we experience when we really allow ourselves to appreciate beauty in whatever form, whether that's natural beauty like the ocean and the mountains and the trees um, or man-made beauty, you know, art, music, dance, theater. And what it does is it actually kind of fills back up that part of us that gets drained when we're using creative energy. You know, most of us use creative energy every time we're problem solving, thinking outside of the box, being innovative, you know, coming up with new ideas. We're using creative energies to figure out our kids' schedules and matching them up with our schedules. I mean, we use a lot of creative energy, but because we're not artists or musicians or authors or whatever it is, we sometimes don't think of ourselves as creatives. And so this is a bucket that tends to get drained by a lot of people throughout the day. But because they don't view themselves as a creative, they don't really appreciate the amount of energy they expend in that area. 
And so the research that really stood out to me was that a large number of people are water creatives. In other words, when they are around bodies of water, they feel renewed, refreshed, restored. Mm -hmm. So the beach, the ocean, lakes. And so you would think that, oh, well, I can only get creative rest then when I'm on vacation. But one of the studies that I mentioned in the book, Sacred Rest, talks about um, looking at the MRIs of brains of those after they had looked at actual bodies of water, after looking at pictures of bodies of water, and then after looking at colors that resemble bodies of water. And the brain activity was the same across all three areas. No activity for those people if they looked at grass versus looking at the water. And so what's great about that is if you're someone who says the beach revives me and restores my creative energy, you can just put images in your home, on your lock screen, on your Mm -hmm. phone. You can have a nautical theme in your office. You know, there's so many different ways to bring in the elements of whatever creative rest means to you so that throughout your day, you're getting those little bursts of creative energy without even having to overthink the process. You know, for myself, the best way to do restorative activities and to get these different types of rest is to make them no-brainers, to integrate it into your life in such a way you're not thinking, oh, I need to get XYZ type of rest. You actually Mm -hmm. have already created areas in your life where you're naturally getting some of those. Well, and that's so easy, you know, thinking about like just putting a big picture of the beach. You know, I'm someone who's definitely a water restored person. So I I love being by the water. I live in New York City, so I'm not at the beach per se all the time. But, you know, I'm not far from the the river. And I know you talk about sensory rest, which we'll talk about in a second, too. But um, one of my realizations during the, the lockdown and COVID was how valuable it was for me to walk out by the water just for a bit of time to start taking walking meetings and to make sure every time I got down to the Hudson River, no matter what. Absolutely. And I think that's important to to know about yourself, to recognize the places where you feel restored, because the places where you feel restored can be very different from somebody else. And so as long as you're aware of that, then you can make the necessary changes in your day and your schedule to make sure that you're getting the types of rest that you need. Mm-hmm. And then how about sensory rest? Sensory rest really requires you to think about what are the sensory inputs in your day? So what are the lights, the sounds, the smells, you know, all the different things that are going on in your environment? Most of us don't think about really what our work environment's sensory input is. However, even if you've learned how to tone out some of these things, your body is still processing them. And so your senses are still becoming overwhelmed because subconsciously you're processing that information even if Mm -hmm. you have consciously kind of toned it out. For example, if your desk is by a elevator, so that, you know, after um, a couple of minutes or a couple of days of working there, you're probably not going to hear that dinging all the time. You're going to just tone it out. Well, your body is still having to interpret that information to be able to tone it out. And so what happens is when we have kind of unrelenting sensory input throughout our day, we can develop symptoms of sensory overwhelm that we're not even aware of. And then we start responding to the sensory overload and thinking, why am I always so agitated at the end of the day? And you can't seem to figure out what, you know, I've come to work and I'm fine. And at the end of the day, I'm irritated and irritable. It could be because you have Mm. sensory inputs that you're not really being aware of. And so that's one of the things is to be aware of what some of the sensory inputs are 
so that, you know, if you're noticing that you spend excessive amount of time on your screens, that you might be dimming the screens in the evening time so that you're kind of deep downgrading some of the sensory input. You know, if you're in a very audio or noise pollution rich environment where you work, instead of driving home and listening to the radio, you may better serve yourself by driving home in silence so that you mm -hmm. actually give your senses a, a reprieve in the middle of the day. So just being aware of some of these things that can be done simply, honestly, something as simple as closing your eyes for five minutes between back-to-back -back Zoom meetings can be enough to kind of give you a momentary sensory reprieve just so that you can start feeling kind of the downgrade of some of those hormones in your body that come when your sensory levels are staying very high. I love that you're calling this out because there are, sounds like, simple ways for us to think about this. I know you've, you've thought about this practically, so I'm going to ask the question that probably people are thinking right now, which is, there's so many different types of rest. There is so little time. How do I actually make this a part of my life in a way that is sustainable and not going to make me feel terrible for trying it and then not following through? Yeah, that's always the question. It's like, oh, now she's gave me seven things to do. So yeah, I get it. And when I started this journey, I needed all seven. I was burned out in all areas. But what I'm finding is most people really need to just focus on the first one or two that they're most efficient in. And then focus your attention on adding back restorative activities specific for those types of rest. Because like I said, getting any kind of rest, it's not going to be beneficial if your deficit's in a specific area. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is to, pay, instead of trying to carve out blocks of time, look for ways that you can incorporate it in the middle of your busy day. For it to be sustainable, it has to be something that you're not going to have to overthink. So let's say if sensory rest is one of the ones that you're needing, you know, you can go ahead and set something on your computer to automatically dim the computer screen light at a certain time. You know, you can get smart devices for your home that downgrades the lights or turns off the TV at a certain time. There's so many ways to automate things now. Um, you know, also with some of the different types of rest, there are things that you can do in combination with other habits you already have. For example, some people before going to bed, they have a mental rest deficit and they find that every time I lay down, my head kind of spins out and starts thinking all these thoughts and all these ideas. Having something concrete like a notepad at the bedside where you can jot down and do a quick brain dump of whatever those ideas are gives your brain permission to then release it. So you're not having to overthink the process. You just have set up your environment to be able to quickly engage in these different types of rest and restorative activities that you may need. Hmm. And what have you seen in the people that you've worked with who have done this um, and done it successfully? It has been amazing. You know, one of the things that's really that's really stood out to me is that most people, when they first begin this process, they begin with skepticism. Those are the emails that I get. And those are, you know, if you, if you Google me, so to speak, there's been so many journalists who have put the seven types of rest to the test. Every time they do that, they always come back with, I can't believe that seven days of doing this made a difference. Because the thing is, it's not requiring you to actually change all of your life. It's, it's basically letting you see the difference between empty and poured back into and mm -hmm. I think most of us, even though, you know, we may have multiple buckets that are depleted, when you start pouring back into a depleted bucket, you feel the rejuvenation of that. 
The goal is not to try to keep all seven at their highest peak level. The goal is to never let them become so depleted that you then are are not able to restore it quickly. You want to kind of continuously be in this ebb and flow of work and rest, work and rest, so that you're pouring back in before levels get to a dangerous depletion state. Got it. It's interesting. I think a lot of us hoped that uh, post-lockdown, post, you know, the highest points of COVID, that life would, quote unquote, return to normal. We all know that that's that's not a reality necessarily. But we are we've entered a place now um, after, you know, COVID, after the racial unrest, after so many things that have happened, where there's still things going on around the globe that we feel perhaps out of control with. So we, I feel like we are agitated by our work, probably by things in our home life. But then there are all these other things that we feel sort of out of control. What would you say to society as we kind of move through this process without the relief we were expecting after COVID? How do we think about rest now? I think what I saw over the past couple of years with the pandemic Um, with the work that I do and the companies that I work with, is there's been a huge shift in the understanding that human resources, when we think about that word, we don't really think about it the way we do other resources, like natural resources. You know, Uh we're very conscious of needing to restore and keep the planet in a restored state, but we're not as conscious as we should be about keeping people in a restored state. And so... That's what I'm finding right now has been a huge shift. You know, mental health quickly came to the forefront because that's always been something that we've been aware of. But more than just mental well-being, all of these areas that are mentioned, all of these types of rest are states of well-being. We need all seven of them to be in a state of well-being for someone to truly feel as if they are the best version of themselves. And so when we talk about whole person well-being or whole person mentality or approach to either, you know, medicine or to even in the workplace, for me, that is the shift that that has happened with the pandemic is this refocusing on The person who shows up at the office or shows up at the desk or the workstation, you know, that person is more than just whatever job they're doing. They have relationships. They have a creative side. They have a passion side. They have a play side. They have all these aspects of themselves and all aspects of themselves show up at that desk, even if they're not being used. And so we have to make sure that we are allowing people opportunities and giving them permission, so to speak, to be able to fill up all of those different areas. And I always say, don't wait for permission, take the permission. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. already granted. And I find that that's where most people really hit a wall. They haven't given themselves permission to get the rest and the restoration that they need. So then it's hard to give other people the go ahead to get the rest they need. So we can't keep waiting for other people to give us permission to rest. I believe it takes more courage to be a person who rests well than it does to be someone who's burning it at both ends. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you remind me of this this phrase someone told me once, which is, you don't have to be sick to get better. So I think that's so powerful and just appreciate that you're you're doing this work. It's very different than how many of us function, especially those of us who say, I'm a high achiever or I'm a performer, and we've been sort of trained to be this way. It almost feels like a break in our sense of identity. And so it can be so tough to break that cycle. But I think the work you're doing makes it practical and simple to be able to look at where we can integrate some of these things into our lives. So I am walking away knowing that sensory is one of my deficit areas, so I'm going to work on it. Um, And with that, uh, Dr. Sandra, I'd love for you to complete these three statements. The first is better humans are. Well rested. Better work is. Energized from a place of your optimal level of capacity. And a better world has. People who are not afraid to say no and are who are willing to take a step back and do the things they need to restore themselves. Love that. Thank you so much for joining me today. I loved having you. Thank you. That was Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, a physician, speaker, and author of the book Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, and Restore Your Sanity. If you want to find out where you might have some rest deficits, check out her work at restquiz.com. One big thing before we go, honesty box here, I used to judge people who purposefully rested because in my world, I judged myself for doing it. Again, recipe for disaster, we've covered that. But also a great reminder that as the lovely Brene Brown says, we judge in the places we are most susceptible to shame. So cut yourself some slack here. You show up every day and you do the best that you can. You already deserve rest and enjoyment. We all do. If you're already brainstorming how to refill your cup, share this episode with someone else that you think could use a little recharge and help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. Even better, write a one sentence review telling me what type of rest you need after listening to Dr. Sandra. I am cheering you on and may it be a restful week. As always, you can find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential and meaningful living. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien. Joe DiGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Ediando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me, and I will see you next week.